Nexus PMG welcomes you to the Bigger Than Us podcast, which we as energy geeks lovingly refer to as the BTU. Bigger Than Us is a podcast that focuses on ideas that will shape the future of our planet and ultimately our existence. We will occasionally lean into energy topics because after all, it's the key to our collective survival, but we'll also explore other ideas and topics that we believe will have an impact that is bigger than us. And now, on to today's show. Hello and welcome to the Bigger Than Us podcast. I'm your host, Raj Daniels, and today I'd like to welcome Moritz van der Ven to the show. Moritz founded and exited two software-driven trading companies in the Netherlands, and after acquiring his master's in finance at ISAID in Barcelona, he worked as an investment banker focused on the U.S. CPG industry at a New York-based boutique bank. Moritz, how are you doing today? I'm doing excellent, Raj. Thank you very much. How are you doing? Moritz, I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. Moritz, where in the world are you located? I'm located actually on a farm in a town called San Marcos uh, in California, about half an hour north of San Diego. And how's the weather? It is fantastic. It is uh, warm, but not too hot. It is sunny all day. Um, Nothing to complain about the weather. You know, I'm a little bit envious because in Dallas, it's going to be 100 degrees tomorrow. And San Diego happens to be one of my favorite cities. So Hopefully one of these days when this pandemic is over, we can meet over there on the shore and have a nice cup of tea together. That would be fantastic. So Moritz, I like to open my show by asking my guest the following question. If you were asked to share something interesting about yourself, what would it be? I think something very interesting also related to uh, to my business is that I am an immigrant founder, um, originally from the Netherlands, uh, and so is my co-founder, Tony. He's also from the Netherlands. And we decided to move to the United States to build out our company um, because um, both, or or actually for three reasons, uh, the climate in the United States, it's much better in terms of financing climate and the great weather in San Diego that we just talked about, um, but also the market for plant-based foods, something that we are developing a solution for, is more advanced than in, uh, in Europe. So we have made the trip to come to the United States to, uh, to build our company. Well, welcome to the United States. And since you mentioned plant-based foods, can you share some information regarding your company? Yeah, of course. So the goal of Plantable Foods is to develop a plant-based egg white replacer. And um, we have found um, uh, a natural way to produce an egg white replacer, uh, which is an interesting story how we got to that. Um, we found out that the most abundant protein in the world, which is called Rubisco protein, which is find, found in every green leaf on the planet, um, is actually a neutral tasting and very functional type of protein that when you apply it in a food product, it can have very similar characteristics as egg white. Now, obviously, the challenge was to find a type of biomass that has a lot of this protein and that grows really fast and that is available at low cost. Um, 
And uh, that's where the journey of plantable foods started to find the right type of biomass that meets these characteristics in order to build a economically and technically feasible um, company and set of technologies uh, to produce um, our type of plant-based egg white replacer. So a couple of questions. Number one, what was the exploration method look like for you to land on you know, the particular biomass you did? And then what does the extraction process look like? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, first of all, we started looking into the total protein content in green leaf material because Rubisco is only found in green leaves uh, and some algae cells. Um, so everything with a chloroplast has um, Rubisco protein. But not every plant leaf is equal and not every plant leaf's protein content is equal either. So we looked for a number of characteristics and those characteristics were total protein content and rubisco protein content thereof. Um, the growth speed of the biomass in an industrial or agricultural scale cultivation setup. Um, and also the processability and the availability of such biomass. Um, because obviously it is important that when you're going to take it into the extraction process, um, you would like to work with a homogeneous type of biomass that doesn't differ too much throughout the year. And that's what led us to a large group of aquatic plants called lemna, um, and uh, lemna is actually part of the duckweed family. Uh, and duckweeds are floating aquatic biomass. Uh, they float on the surface of water. Uh, they're known for their very high growth speeds. And many times people um, more frequently see them as a pest than uh, as a gift. Um, they're used in uh, water treatment facilities, um, but the trend towards application in food products is upward. Uh, a couple of years ago, the first publications around the potential for the use of duckweeds for food applications um, were uh, starting to get known, um, but no real process had been developed uh, to do so. Um, and the reason why we are so interested in one particular family of the duckweeds called lemna is because it meets the three requirements that we were looking for in our biomass. And you mentioned some people view it as a pest. Why do they view it as a pest? So because lemna and other duckweeds can actually um, uh, start growing in a system rich of nutrients, which can be a pond with fish, fish poop, there's poop in the water, which is a great fertilizer for plants to grow on. And when duckweeds start growing and picking up this fertilizer, their multiplication rate is really fast. And uh, what the plant tends to do in nature, it can cover up the surface area of a pond really quickly and thereby um, blocking the light in the pond also real quickly and uh, becoming the dominant plant in the pond body. And uh, not always, especially in parks and in uh, places where you would like to be able to look into the pond and also have um, aquatic life below the surface area, that's not always desired. Um, so uh, when you Google for duckweeds or for lemna, many times you see um, interesting news articles about municipalities or companies that are actually trying to get rid of it. So... 
I'm guessing in your world with this exponential growth ability is probably beneficial to your farming of lemna. Is that correct? Exactly. And we, of course, take a completely different take on um, uh, cultivating duckweeds or lemna um, than, uh, than in other systems. We control what is available to the plant in our systems uh, to make sure that we grow a um, very high-yielding, high-protein and, of course, food-safe product that is free of toxins and free of heavy metals. Um, and um, our way of cultivating lemna pushes lemna to grow fast and to be rich in protein, which obviously is the compound that we're after in the extraction process. So obviously, without giving away any technical secrets, can you explain how you do grow it? Yes. Um, the way we grow it is in shallow ponds. Um, there is a, a, a thin layer of water in our ponds, and uh, we apply our nutrient formulation in this layer of water. On the surface of the water, we have uh, our lemna growing, and the ponds are covered with a very simple greenhouse construction, um, for some people known as a hoop house, because it consists of hoops and it's, uh, it's, it's spun over with, uh, with plastic. Um, and the, the, the hoop houses help us to control the amount of light inside and help us to limit the evaporation rate of the water we grow the lemna on and also help to keep the temperature contained inside the system. Um, and this all leads to a very high yielding um, a cultivation system for lemna where uh, the risk of getting outside contamination is minimized at the same time. So how many times a year, let's say on one pond, for example, how many times a year can you harvest from that one pond? To answer this question correctly, I have to give a little bit of background because lemna in the way we cultivate it is not a crop that you harvest in cycles. So lemna, first of all, grows vegetatively. Once you have inoculated a pond with lemna, which means that you have started a new pond and you have given it enough lemna to cover the surface area, it will start growing and consuming the nutrients in the water. Um, and um, we have certain bandwidths of how much lemna we tolerate on the surface. And by harvesting off a percentage of the total lemna on the surface, we keep the total biomass in the pond within those bandwidths. Um, and if you translate that on what we do on a day-to-day -day basis, um, we harvest from our lemna ponds almost on a daily basis because the productivity rates are so high. Uh, lemna can have growth speeds where it doubles its biomass in just under 48 hours. So when you have a lemna pond growing, the biomass replicates so fast by creating offspring that creates its own offspring that creates its own offspring that you can continuously harvest from the same system without having to restart it again. That's really interesting. So it almost sounds like you're just trimming the plant back or cutting it back. Is that correct? Um, yes, exactly. So um, you're you're essentially looking when you, when you look at at lemna. From really close, you see that it is not much more than a tiny leaf with um, some smaller leaves attached to it, and that is its offspring. So the larger leaf is called the mother frond, 
And the smaller leaves that grow on the mother front are the daughter fronds. And once the daughter fronds have grown to a certain size, they split off from the mother front and the same process happens again. Um, so this is how, how lamina grows and how you harvest it is, uh, it is not attached to soil. It is just the leaf floating on the water. So you literally skim a portion of your biomass from the surface of the water and you use that portion that you skim off in your extraction process uh, to extract the protein compounds from it. So when I had the opportunity to look at your website, you have an aerial photo, I believe, of one of your ponds, and it reminded me very much of like a lily pad. Yes, it's a very, very, very small version of a lily pad. So um, the diameter of a leaf is about a 16th to an eighth of an inch. Um, in millimeters, that's about... Uh, three and a half to to four and a half millimeters i would say um that's uh that's the size of the actual leaf it's a uh it's a small type of leaf that is also known as the smallest flowering plant in the world so earlier in the conversation you mentioned you know protein comparable to egg white is that correct that's correct and how do you extract the protein from the lemna plant that's um, that's a process that I think has been uh, our biggest challenge over the past years. Um, the protein itself, Rubisco protein, is part of the photosynthesis cycle. And um, what it does, its function in the plant is to capture CO2 and um, to bring that CO2 into the plant to retain the carbon and to release the oxygen uh, back into the air. So that's its natural enzymatic function in the plant. Um, so it's an enzyme. And Rubisco naturally is water soluble. And because of the fact that it's water soluble and a lot of other compounds in the plant are not, um, we use a solid liquid separation technique to separate out all the solids from the liquids that include the soluble compounds in the plant. Um, so that is the first step in the extraction process. So after the solid liquid separation, we continue with the liquid in the process and we separate out all the compounds until we have um, our final solution with mostly Rubisco protein that is from that point um, uh, neutral in color, odor and flavor. And the last step in our process is to dry this liquid, which ends up in our final protein powder. And this protein powder can then be redissolved uh, and used as an egg white replacer in uh, products and categories like baking, dairy alternatives, meat alternatives, and other plant-based products where um, um, an egg white replacer can be a solution to make those products taste better and have better texture. Thank you for that technical. So did you say it's tasteless and odorless? Yes, correct. So can an individual use it replacement for a protein powder? Um, you could. Um, it is definitely a great replacement for protein powder because it contains all the nine essential amino acids. Um, its composition in terms of amino acids is not only complete, but also very uh, well balanced. Um, so um, from a nutritional standpoint, it, uh, it has a very, uh, very good nutritional protein 
uh, uh, composition. Well, I'm excited to try it when it's available. So switching gears a little bit, Moritz, you know, the crux of our conversation is the why behind what you do. Now, in your particular case, in Tony's case, you've moved countries and you've you know, upended your lives to invest your time in this as an opportunity cost with doing comes with doing so. So what's your why? What motivates you? What drives you to be so, you know, passionate in this arena? So I think to answer this question, we have to go a couple years back. And um it was around deciding to deciding around which master program to do when I started thinking about what potential industries could be interesting to start investing time in to understand that would be relevant throughout my own career but also in which a really big impact is needed to be made and at that time I saw that that would be agriculture and food Um, with a growing population the problems around food production distribution and food quality that we all eat Um, are only going to increase because the resources we have available to produce high-quality foods are getting smaller and smaller. So with fewer resources available, we'll have to produce more foods um, for a, um, uh, a population that will require higher quality foods. And I found that a very interesting challenge to start with. And I thought it would still be a challenge for the next 50 years. So then I started looking into what could potentially be the biggest problems within this space and fairly quickly discovered that the production of protein products, as we have known them for decades, is one of the most polluting um, industries in the world. Um, so the production of meat products and dairy products um, emits so much greenhouse gas that by reducing the emission of greenhouse gases for the production of equal or better proteins would be a great challenge to go after. Um, then the next step really was to try and see opportunities in the market um, and find problems that would need to be solved in order to solve this bigger problem. And obviously, the switch from animal-based products to plant-based products is a whole revolution in the food industry, and it impacts everyone throughout the chain. And one of the big challenges that everyone in the chain is faced with is the quality of the ingredients to use to make the products that the consumer really wants. So the consumer wants something that is affordable, that tastes great, that is available when they want it, and it should also be nutritious. And those factors combined make it hard for food manufacturers to make plant-based food products that meet all those requirements because many times you can make a very nutritious and sustainable type of product, but the ingredients that are available to use are hard to work with to make the desired flavor profile or texture profile that the consumer really likes, or um, uh, they become really expensive and stay kind of a niche product. Um, And one of the key ingredients that really drives the quality of the next generation plant-based food products is protein. And not as a bulking ingredient to just add a lot of protein 
in a food product, but really to make sure that the texture of the product is pleasant um, without adding off flavors or without complicating the formulation of the ingredient by having to add a lot of chemical stabilizers and other products in there that would diminish the either the nutritional value of the product um, or would put the health of the consumer at risk because there's just going there's so much chemicals going into those products so to create a new type of plant-based ingredient that would meet those requirements that was the challenge from the start and um, I think that has really driven Tony and me to take the step to do a deep dive in what the best solution would be and to give up all the things um, we had prior to starting this adventure. Uh, we both had pretty comfortable lives and pretty comfortable outlooks, um, but we decided to go deep into this venture to solve this problem and to try and come up with a solution that would uh, um, help other companies create the next generation high quality, well-tasting and affordable plant-based food products. Well, it's quite a challenge you've taken on. Can you speak to some of the challenges you've had on a more frequent basis as far as moving here and then setting up your operation, et cetera? Yeah, definitely. I think like where it all started with um, is indeed what you say. This is a very big challenge. So you need to narrow down your challenge to something feasible and executable. Um, so we decided on going after Rubisco protein because it, we thought it would be a feasible type of solution that we could take on uh, as a company and uh, focus specifically on this. So first of all was the choice of what we were going to focus on. Um, and um, we, made to focus on, we made the decision to focus on Rubisco protein. Then the next challenge was to find an appropriate R&D setup where we could do all the work in order to figure out how to solve this problem. And um, when we started this adventure, um, uh, Tony and I both quit our jobs. Um, I was in New York at that time and came back to the Netherlands. Uh, Tony was working uh, mostly abroad as well. He was based in Amsterdam, but traveling a lot for work. Uh, so when uh, we decided to join forces and um, start on this uh, project, we quickly saw that it would make sense to um, think about going to the United States to continue with this adventure. And one of the challenges after we raised a little bit of friends and family capital uh, to be able to uh, start the project was to find a location in the United States where we would do this R&D work. Um, and one of our investors and good friends, um, uh, who is also a graduate student at MIT, helped us out via the MIT alumni network and uh, brought us in contact with um, an organization in America, uh, which is called the American Algae Association. Um, because we saw a lot of parallels with growing lemna and algae, which is not the same, but the infrastructure in which you can grow it can be fairly the same. So we thought maybe we can find an old algae facility where we can um, uh, uh, start grower lemna and start to learn more about the R&D project that we'll need to do. 
And via that network, we found a location here in Southern California uh, that we were able to take over and start operating this uh, facility without having to make a huge investment in the place to get started, um, which for us took a big hurdle away um, because if we would have built the infrastructure ourselves that we're until today able to, uh, to use, um, we would have been down over $2.5 million in building this infrastructure. So we found an opportunity um, at a bargain where uh, we could start working on the cultivation and the extraction processes without having to heavily invest in infrastructure. So that was one of our big opportunities. So when we found this opportunity, for us, it was time to pull the trigger and say, all right, we're going to leave the Netherlands and we're actually going to move there because we'll have to do it right there. Um, so um, we'll, we had to arrange our visas and um, make sure that we would be able to work here in the U.S. legally with our own company. And with the proper preparation by uh, setting up our entities in the United States prior to moving already, and working with a great team of immigration lawyers who helped us out getting our visas, um, we were able to get our visas pretty quickly and um, actually continue to work uh, in the United States without any problem. Um, but that, I think, was just the beginning of um, the running the actual operations, which is uh, a very interesting challenge up, uh, up until today. So it seems like you've had a series of, I'm going to call them fortunate events. What are some of the big learnings or perhaps surprise moments that you've had in your journey? I think one of the biggest learnings is, um, especially when you want to build out a company that is doing something very specific, is that you have to have a very specific focus. Um, and... Um, the focus that we had to define for ourselves was to focus on creation of the specific ingredient so that we could very well establish and identify all the factors that are important in this R&D process um, to then work on the proper execution of those step by step and not trying to solve every problem along the supply chain that comes with building this. Um, and I think it helped us a lot in structuring the approach of, um, uh, first of all, trying to find the right way to grow the crop and at the same time developing a very basic extraction technology um, within the landscape of uh, um, existing patents and other processes out there uh, to define a process that would work for us and that would also give us certain protection. Um, and uh, the focus on those activities has helped us a lot to really get to the stage where we were able to bring in um, uh, the first VC funding from uh, American um, uh, investors, which was about two years ago from now. Um, so I think having the right focus and um, having a very clear path to your goals um, especially when you're taking on such a big challenge in moving to a different place and completely being on the other side of the world and having to restart an old facility is very important to, to stay on track um, because it can be very uh, 
easy to get sidetracked or distracted in this uh, in this type of situation. I appreciate you sharing that. And I think it leads nicely into my last question, which is, if you could share some advice or words of wisdom with the audience, what would it be? It would definitely be to think about what you find fun and meaningful in life to do. Um, try to find a challenge that is in line with those thoughts. Um, try to find people around you that are aligned on those thoughts as well. And um, don't be afraid to start executing ideas that you think fit in that picture. And um, I think one of the people that convinced me to start working on this adventure was a partner at the investment bank where I was working prior to starting this company. And um, I had a lot of discussions with him and he at some point said, there is no downside to starting this adventure because what you will learn along the way is much more, much more diverse and much more unique to what you will learn in an investment bank or in another job where you kind of know where you're heading in a couple of years from now, which will give you a lot of certainty and you'll be able to de-risk a lot of things for yourself. Um, but how does it really line up with what you really want to achieve? Does it meet your goals? Um, so when he said that it wouldn't have any downside, um, even though it would be a very tough challenge to take on. Um, that really made a lot of sense to me. And um, I think the fact that uh, we're working on solving a very meaningful problem and that we're having a lot of fun while doing so um, is really what, what keeps us up and what keeps us driven to, uh, to pursue our goals. Um, so as long as you have clear goals set for yourself and you find the right challenge that meets those, I think that's something you should definitely pursue because it will make you happy and it make you very satisfied in the thing you do in life. Moritz, thank you for that advice. You know, I've really enjoyed speaking with you and I look forward to trying your protein powder myself. Is there anything that I have not explored or should have asked you that I did not? Um, I don't think so. Although it may be interesting to zoom in on, um, so there is something funny maybe that can be a funny thing during the podcast because when COVID started, uh, we uh, decided to buy RVs and to basically continue the operations we do on a daily basis on our farm. We decided to move to the farm and we moved into RVs and we moved into office spaces that we converted into bedrooms because we didn't want to be isolated from the location where all the operations happen. Uh, if we couldn't drive home uh, from home to, uh, to the farm anymore. So for the last three and a half, four months, we've been living on the farm in order to keep all the operations running. And um, in the times of uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, obviously that has been a very interesting experience for for everyone on the team and, and also for ourselves. It sounds great. I hope you're taking some time to record that journey and perhaps, you know, journaling and photograph and doing some video blogging around the RVs too. <laughs> Definitely. We're making sure that we take a lot of photos and that we, uh, that we capture all the fun and exciting moments here on the farm. 
Well, I think it'll make for a great story one day, Moritz. And again, I really appreciate your time today and I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Likewise. Thank you a lot, Raj. Have a great day and have a, a great 4th of July weekend. You too. Thank you for listening. And if you like our show, please give us a rating and review on iTunes. And if you want to show your support, please share our show with a friend or reach out to us on social media where you'll find us under our Nexus PMG handle. Bigger Than Us is a Nexus PMG production.